Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom Estate. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Good evening, everyone. My name is Preston Washington. I'm your host this evening on the Guest of Freedom. We're coming to you live over www.blackhistoryblogs.com. Please be reminded that the show is archived at www.blackhistoryuniversity.com and is available there on uh, iTunes. Got a great show for you today, uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, speaking of which, let's get into a little bit of the history, probably a little bit of the unknown history about how it is that Memorial Day, or in some quarters, Decoration Day, how it came about. And it was started by former slaves on May 1st, 1865, in Charleston, South Carolina. And what they did, they wanted to honor 257 dead Union soldiers who had been buried in a mass grave at a Confederate prison camp. They dug up the bodies one by one, worked for two weeks, to give them a proper burial as gratitude for fighting for their freedom. After which they then held the parade, attended by 10,000 people. And the parade was led by 2,800 black children. And they marched, they sang, they celebrated. So there's a little-known black history. Hello? Fact. Yes. Good evening. Yes, this is Kelly Hurley, and I'll have my father um, on the line. I'm going to put him on just now. One moment. Okay, great. Uh, hello, Ms. Giz? Yes, uh, Anthony Hurley is our yes, guest this tonight. Yes, Anthony Manigault Hurley speaking. Manigault Hurley, along with his daughter, Kelly. Yeah, that was uh, my daughter, Kelly, that called you. Okay. She, she's here with me now, however, she... Uh, doesn't work full-time at the funeral homes. Okay. Well, it's very appropriate that we should have you on the show tonight as you're in Columbia, South Carolina. Right. And director of a funeral home there, mm-hmm. Manigault Hurley Funeral Home. Manigault, yeah. And, and we understand that uh, from our history lessons that uh, Decoration Day or Memorial Day was started in South Carolina in Charleston in 1865. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how it is that your funeral home got started. How did it begin there in Columbia, South Carolina? My grandfather is from South Carolina, yes. Um, a little town called e- uh, Kingsville, South Carolina. Um, and basically he grew up on the farm uh, like most black uh, people did at that time because there were no professionals 
such as doctors and lawyers and those type people. Uh, he was only a farmer for his for his father, and mm-hmm. shortly after um, he enlisted in the army um, to create a better life, of course, uh, than than farming. And uh, fortunately, he did well in the service. He was in the 10th Cavalry, which was known as the Buffalo Soldiers, um, until he came back to Columbia. And then when he came back to Columbia, he opened up uh, the funeral home and a clothing store uh, downtown in the black section uh, of Columbia uh, that was, uh, it was a lot of black businesses there, such as tailor shops and, and uh, you know, barber shops and beauty mm-hmm. shops and, you know, but nothing really professional at that time. What year did he establish the funeral home? Well, actually, it was established around 1917. Um, he started with uh, a partner, Mr. Williams, who's passed away now. And this was downtown in the, as I said, the black uh, business area, such as it was in Columbia. Um, after that didn't do too well, he moved down on Main Street, uh, 714 Main Street here in Columbia, which happened mm-hmm. to have been the first, one of the first, anyway, black businesses that opened up or had businesses in uh, on Main Street in Columbia. And at that time, he uh, acquired another partner, Gaten. So it was really Manigault, Gaten, and Williams. But after uh, a while, that <laughs> didn't do too well. I mean, it did well, but they dissolved the partnership. And then he went in business for himself. And during that time, uh, he was doing fairly well uh, financially and business-wise because he was well-known around Columbia as a uh, astute businessman, and he did well. Uh, and after, uh, I don't remember, 1940 <coughs> in that area, he and my grandmother uh, opened the funeral home. I mean, a casket company. I'm sorry. Um, it was called Congaree Casket Company, and back. Back then, we didn't have a Obama era. <laughs> the Jim Crow era didn't exactly hinder our business, but we only catered to black clientele. Yes. So that, uh, that lasted quite a bit uh, until he passed away. And then my mother went off to, uh, she was a school teacher before 
he passed away. And she went off after his death to New York to uh, a embalming school up there called Renard Embalming School, which was at that time well known. And from there she came back to Columbia to run the funeral home. And as far as I know, and the records show, she was one of the first pioneer black funeral home, uh, female funeral directors in the Bahamas in the state of South Carolina. Now, I don't, I don't have the exact numbers, but I do know that she's been well publicized as one of the first pioneer female funeral directors and embalmers. And I can remember when I was small, uh, growing up around her and the other guys and personnel at the funeral home, and uh, she would do uh, a lot of the embalming, which was quite unusual. And, of course, I took it as in stride because I didn't know any better. Cause because I was raised in the funeral home, my uh, grandmother, my mother, uh, my grandfather, the whole family were in the funeral business. So I ended up being the, full, the third generation of family-owned businesses. Now, the okay. my daughter, to answer the phone, Kelly, she is my daughter and she helps but she would be considered the fourth generation. What if you have another daughter? She she doesn't work here full time. She lives in Charlotte as a matter of fact. Excuse me, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes, uh, a little bit about the embalming business, uh, the the process of embalming. Uh, Could you talk to us a little bit about that? I understand that salt might have been involved or is involved. Who who may have been involved? Salt, the ingredient salt in the embalming process. No, no. I don't remember. I know the formaldehyde was a basic ingredient, and they used that. Uh, there were some uh, other chemicals. Uh, mirth, I think they used that, like in the Bible. Uh, okay. There were... Quite a few ingredients in there, but quite frankly, I was only a, a child, and I don't remember that. And when I went to embalming school, uh, they didn't teach us that. Okay. Now, you mentioned uh, you have a daughter that's working there part-time. Do you have a daughter involved in the business on a full-time basis? Uh, no, I don't. We okay. we had my... My hopes were to get my son and my daughter here involved in the business. Um, however, they both chose different professions. So at this particular time, we only have two people full-time, and that's my wife and myself. But I do have three children. Mm-hmm. One, Kelly, the one answered the phone, She's in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, working at one of the hospitals up there as a fundraiser. Uh, My son, Brian, is a physician uh, uh, and 
internal medicine, I was trying to think about that. Internal medicine doctor here in Columbia. He was in Scottsdale, Arizona prior to that. Um, But he moved back to Columbia about eight or nine years ago, and he's been here ever since. And my third daughter, the youngest one, Michelle, is an attorney and a judge. She is a family coach, South Carolina State family coach judge. And they they come and help when I need them, but they, but Michelle is also, and Brian, they're both licensed in bombers. And I mean, excuse me, Michelle is a licensed in bomber and a funeral director, and Brian, the one that's uh, here from Arizona, it, he has film director's license, and they all pitch in if I need them, but uh, they don't full uh, work full time because, as I said, they have other professions, and I think I think that kind of takes precedence over what I wish they they would do. Mm-hmm. They don't. I understand that uh, some of your children have joined us. Uh, that they're on the line right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, who's on the line right now? I don't think she is. Uh, okay. Uh, tell us about, now, yours is a family-owned business, small family-owned business. How is it that the large conglomerates, the big companies, how are they impacting small funeral homes? Well, wait, wait. Could you hold it just a moment? Yes, really? sir. I mean, Michelle. Yeah, I'm sorry. Both of them are in another room right now. But if if it's necessary for them to to pick up, I can get uh, uh, Kelly, the one to call, to uh, join in our conversation. If 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 you like. Okay. Would Would you like to do for her to do that? Yes, we'd uh, very much like for them to join us. Uh, she would very much like for you to join. Okay. No, you pick up on the phone in the uh, other room. Excuse me, she's got to go to an- another room. Uh, okay. We, we're not, uh, we're, matter of fact, we're at home now. Uh, we're not running the funeral home as such. As, you know, the office, rather, is not open. I see. This time of night, but we're here 24 hours a day. The funeral homes, unfortunately, we're captive audiences, and that makes it kind of not difficult, but it makes us uh, uh, obligated, more or less, for lack of a better word, to the public. Okay. You know, and yeah. that's what. <laughs> Uh, it goes. We're supposed to be on call 24 hours a day, and normally we have been on call. As a matter of fact, my wife and I were married in '61, and since that time, we have been on call. <laughs> unfortunately, yes. We don't know when that Grim Reaper is going to make this call. I understand that. Uh... One of your daughters, uh, one of your children's on the line now. Well, uh, this yes. is Kelly. Yeah, Hurley. this is Kelly. 
and I okay. picked up the other line, but my sister Michelle should also be calling in, so I wasn't I'm, quite I'm sure. On my, I'm on the line. Oh, really? So we now, now you have three of us. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, thank you for joining us, Kelly and Michelle. Uh, one of the questions I was uh, uh, wondering about is how the conglomerates are impacting the small funeral home. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and how not, impact the not too much. Um, some years ago, I would estimate maybe 10, 12 years ago, maybe a few more years, uh, they had uh, companies that were buying out funeral homes. And as far as I know, basically they were buying out black funeral homes. Um, Mm -hmm. I think one funeral home, in fact, I knew the guy's name, a lawyer in in, uh, Atlanta brought a case against them for whatever reason it was that this company bought a, the funeral home and there was some conflict as to whether he was ethical or or whether they did what they said they were going to do or whatever. I don't know what the case was, but I do know he did win the case. Let me, uh, let me jump in here. Let me jump in here, Mr. Hurley. I want to bring uh, Michelle in. I understand okay. that you might have to leave. And uh, I want to congratulate you on your dress trip there. And uh, Is that in South Carolina <laughs> as well? It is. Thank okay. you. Yes. And uh, tell me a little bit about your experience uh, in the funeral business, you know, uh, with the business and the family legacy and et cetera. And how does that, um, how does that impact your your, wait, um, wait, could you hold it just a minute? Kelly, what are you saying? Um, well, you Hello? know, I, I'm a little late coming on to the phone call, um, but I'm sure my parents or my father told you that I grew up next door to the funeral home. And so as far back as I can remember, I have been working in the funeral home, and that's really, you know, it, it started at the bottom, and you do every you, job you can possibly do. And we wash cars, we mop, we, you know, we dusted, we handed out programs. I was the runner having to go down the street and make copies or, you know, when we were growing up, we didn't have fax machines. Um, And so we had a radio show. um, And then we also had radio announcements. And so my dad would drive and my sister, brother, and I would hop out of the car and run to the radio station and hand off all the funeral announcements for that week. Then we get in the car and go to the newspaper, and we run in and uh, jump off the newspaper announcements. Um, and so we earned um, our allowance by working at the funeral home. As a matter of fact, I've been getting uh, paying in Social Security since I was six years old because <laughs> we were paying taxes and getting tax refunds, and that's how we earned our allowance. And so we grew up doing everything because it's a family business, and so everybody had to chip in and do whatever was necessary, and we used to call it, you know, babysitting the bodies. And so when the receptionist went to lunch or dinner, my brother and sister and I had to go over and act as a receptionist. We used to, you know, tease that we were babysitting the bodies at night. Um, so I'm very proud of um, my family's business and the heritage. Um, and one thing it has taught me um, that I think I take um, 
what that I took into my job as a lawyer and now a family court judge is um, that you understand everyone's situation. Um, you don't judge anyone um, by you know the way they look, and you treat everyone with dignity and, and with respect. And that's one thing that I know that was instilled in me just by watching my parents um, and how my parents treated people who came to the funeral home for our services and just people in general. Um, you, you have to treat everyone with dignity and respect, and that's one thing that um, that I thank them for. Leslie Gist, um, this is a wonderful show. I'm really enjoying listening to your family talk about the legacy. Um, I was just curious. You mentioned a radio show. I know I read that your family was one of the first funeral homes to use a printed program. Yes. About a radio show. Could you uh, delve into that a little bit more deeply? Um, well, I'll start off when my dad can finish. We used to have a radio show that would um, broadcast from our funeral home every Sunday morning. Um, and the singers and the radio announcer, and they would come with the gospel show, and they would come every Sunday morning and, and do it from our funeral home. Um, and that went on for years until um, the person who was Mr. Andrew Brown, I believe, he passed away. Um, but you also have to have announcements, funeral announcements, and the best way to get them out was through the radio station. So we would use a local radio station called WOIC to announce our funerals as well. And then we also had a, a um, woman by the name of Miss Taylor who did a radio show through WOIC on Sunday mornings for us. Um, but my dad can jump in and kind of tell you more about it. Wonderful. We're not going to keep you. We really appreciate you um, interrupting your celebration. We said you were on the beach with your family, and we really appreciate <laughs> we about, you coming out. Thank you. We have about 55 <laughs> people here. We did, and this is not Oprah's show yet, but we're working on it. As long as we keep getting great guests like you, we'll make it there. So thanks again. Enjoy the rest. Thank you. Okay. Preston, are you on? I'm on. Great. I want to hear about the chapel. Uh, Can someone talk? um, Kelly, could you talk about the chapel? Yes. um, Our chapel was an old Methodist church that – my grandmother uh, moved in when we had the funeral home down on Main Street. The University of South Carolina came in and pretty much confiscated the land. They bought you out, but we all know what that means. And so we were we relocated from downtown to our current location at 2229 Two Notch Road. <clears throat> we have a beautiful chapel that seats about... 200 people, and my grandmother moved in about 1953. And so my dad keeps correcting me. He said it seats 260 people. And and so we have funerals here at the chapel, and as well as we allow other people to have funerals here at the chapel. But we also must say that in March, our funeral home, we – have kind of phased out, and um, after go- almost 90 years in the business, um, we have 14 other funeral homes here in Columbia, 
and um, it just became financially unviable for us to continue in business, especially since my father and parents are getting older and, um, you know, they both have a few health issues. We have closed our doors and had our last funeral in March. So it's been a bittersweet uh, journey for all of us because my father put his blood, sweat, and tears into this business. Um, as did his forefathers. And it's interesting that, you know, we work so hard, we as black people work so hard to get our little piece of the American pie. And we we cling to it, we hold on to it. And then, you know, if something happens where we have to sell or close, it's just harder for, I guess, for us to stomach and, and take. But um, it's a necessary thing that happened However, we have just so such fine memories um, of four generations of being in the funeral home business. And my sister Mike can jump in a little bit as well because she married into a funeral family as well. So her children have it coming from both sides. They we That's call her, her we call her Morticia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, the casket company. Dad can tell. Dad, oh, oh, the casket company closed. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that history. As I said, my grandfather was the founder. He and my grandmother, and they, my grandfather passed away. And that's when I was mentioning to you that my mother went to New York to go to embalming school to uh, Renard School of Embalming, which was one of the elite top uh, embalming schools in the country. It was run by Dr. Renard. Mm -hmm. And then she returned to Columbia to run the casket factory and the funeral home as long as she could. As it was a woman, (laughs) that kind of put put her in a situation that in the South, they didn't think women... Should be fume directors and bomb, but as far as the casket company is concerned, she did well uh, for a while. But she decided to close because it became a little too much for her to do both. And how long was the casket company in business? Oh, uh, approximately uh, ten, twelve years. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems that you and your Children have done very well. Uh, also, uh, successful me. professionals came through the Jim Crow area, all the way to the Obama era. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that's quite a feat, particularly there in uh, the Jim Crow South. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, how did that Jim Crow? And you mentioned that earlier uh, a little bit about Jim Crow, and um, mm-hmm. you know we often hear that. A lot of black businesses are only successful because they're a product of segregation. Right. Uh, I don't necessarily hold that view. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit how you came through that era and was so successful Mm -hmm. in your business. Well, frankly, personally, and also from my family's business, we really didn't have much of a problem with that. Now, that may sound strange to you 
being down here in South Carolina. But we had a very good relationship with the, with the uh, Caucasian community, and uh, we had no problems that I can recall resulting from them being uh, with in the, in the same business or supporting our business. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, this is Kelly. I'm going to jump in. Um, okay. Coming, uh, and I wasn't around doing Jim Crow, but just from what I know, is that, you know, black people bury black people, and the white funeral homes buried white people, and we we didn't cross over at all, and they knew that we were a necessary business for the community, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we just kind of minded our business, and we, uh, you know, may have used some of the vendors for uh, merchandise, you know, we may have bought um, uh, caskets and programs and fans and such from white businesses, but other than that, we just kind of served the black community. But over the years, um, we've become more integrated. I mean, we have buried white people, a lot of Hispanics. We've shipped um, Latinos to Guatemala, all over Mexico, um, Jewish people, um, that, um, and Indians. So we really just have crossed the racial uh, barrier, if you will, um, you know, I'd say in the last 15 years. But prior to that, it was a very segregated business. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, as a genealogist, I'm concerned about your records. Uh, have you archived them? or? Well, my sister can been? speak to that because <clears throat> there's a library called South Carolina Library here in Columbia, and they've been asking for our records for years, and we'd never give them up. But I'm going to let Michelle jump in and tell you about that. Okay, I think Michelle left us already. Uh, hello? Michelle? I think headed, yeah, I think Michelle headed back to the beach. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll tell you what I know. Um, the people uh, from the South Carolina Library contacted us uh, over the years, like I've said, to uh, ask us for our records. Um, and when we decided to close, my sister called them and said, your wish is going to be finally granted. You can have our records. Well, we have handwritten written records from, like, um, from the 1920s where my grandmother and, and uh, my great-grandfather, my grandmother, they would write, they had ledgers, of who of all the families uh, who used our service, and then the records well, of records of um, <clears throat> how much money that you know, the, how much the funeral cost, and how much they would make payments. So they might make fifty cents payment a month or something. You know, they they just paid as they could. So that was right. one of one of the um, hallmarks of black funeral homes is that we have typically allowed our people to pay over time, um, and some funeral homes still do. But, they do that today, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. And um, the thing about it is once they're in the ground, you can't dig them up. So if people <laughs> don't pay you, you're just kind of stuck. So, you know, we that's always been one of those catch-22 situations for our family um, because, it, you will get a bad reputation if you start suing people for their money, you know. So we we had lots of people who owed us money, so we just kind of phased that um, program did out. Not, 
but did you not have any uh, benevolent associations there in South Carolina? Well, I'm sure that uh, there's mutual some, aid societies. Not really, not to help with funeral services. If that were the case, we would probably still be in business. But um, and then a lot of people have gone towards cremations, whereas a typical funeral could cost anywhere from seven to twelve thousand dollars. A lot of people now where, you know, again, black people, we as a people, we did not believe in burning the body. We wanted to stay intact for the afterlife. And, you know, I'm putting my mom in the ground just like she is. But, right. you, know, you know, I'd say I'd say average funeral is 7 to 12, but you, really they're more like $10,000. That's why you see those commercials on TV about life insurance um, for your final wishes. But when you go towards cremation, uh, they're about three thousand dollars. So we're finding more and more people are uh, using accepting cremation as um, a, a norm. But mm-hmm. going back to our records, we have donated our record keeping over to the library at the University of South Carolina. Yeah, at the University of South Carolina. And as we were talking about that, my mother was saying that, oh, you know, several times a year people will call and say, oh, I'm trying to find records of my great-grandfather and my uncle um, and who our, who our family members are because they are doing a gene- um, genealogy uh, chart or what have you, or they're just trying to track down relatives. And just as we're having that conversation, the phone rang and said, my grandfather, my grandfather who died in 1937, you did his funeral. Do you have any records? And so we we were able to go back and pull out those records and you know see who the family members were. So not only were the funeral homes an important business to the community, we were a repository of uh, vital records as well. Oh, believe me, you are. Have you considered digitizing your records? Um, I don't think that we have the uh, time nor desire at this point. I think that once we've already donated them to the South Carolina, excuse me, Daddy, move the phone. My dad has a little uh, coughing spill every now and then, so please forgive that. But um, we've given, um, thank you, we've given our records to South Carolina already. And hopefully they will digitize them and make them available to the public. Mm. Too bad we couldn't get some volunteers in there to uh, digitize those records before uh, they were released. Yeah, yeah they're going to put them on microfilm. He says okay. microfilm, but that, they don't use microfilm too much anymore, do they? No, they're, no, they're going towards uh, dig, uh, yeah, digitization. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whatever they're going to do, we gave them to... The South Carolina Library, as my daughter just mentioned, through a Dr. Bobby Donaldson. He is the black history professor down at the University of South Carolina. And we've been going over these same questions with him for five or six years. And he's thoroughly investigated all aspects of the funeral business. Uh, he's very good if you ever need to know anything further about funeral homes, I could probably find his number around here. His name is Dr. Bobby Donaldson. But let me go back to something that my daughter mentioned and missed 
Um, back in the 40s, maybe even the 30s, but the 40s, and in, in that era, white, ins- we didn't have any black insurance companies to start off with. Uh, there was one in North Carolina called North Carolina Mutual, Atlanta Life, and Pilgrim. There were three that I know of uh, life insurance companies. Uh, but the white companies, the agents, the white agents would go from door to door selling insurance to black people for funerals. And basically they only sold minimum amount of death that uh, I have seen policies for $10. I've seen policies for $12. So it's it, to go back to the Jim Crow era. That didn't make a difference because people would come in and with a bag full of policies, and all of them together wouldn't come to a hundred dollars. Hundred dollars. Then and the ones who didn't. This may sound facetious to you, but the ones who didn't have these, we call them five and ten cent policies. Who didn't have that would pay with collard greens and corn and hogs and whatever the uh, collateral they had, you know, or what, whatever they had to to help on the funeral expenses. Yeah, that was a very, uh, very horrible situation there. They were also selling those insurance companies something what they call 20 pay life. Policy. Well, yeah, well, 20 paid life, 15, 10 paid yeah. life. No. But again, they, or whatever. yes, but again, the face amount, the, the death benefit amount was so small. Of course, back then, oh, back in the 20s and the 30s, uh, funerals only cost two. two Two hundred dollars or one hundred and fifty dollars at the most, so that didn't matter too much. But the fact is that they did not have enough insurance at that time through the white companies because they mm-hmm. just basically would not sell to uh, you know large policies to black clientele. Uh, could you? Um you mentioned the uh, professor there that's handling your records. Uh, could you spell his name uh, so that genealogists can get in, uh, get in touch with him? B-O-B-B-Y. Let me look up, Kelly. Let me look up his number right quick, and I'll give it to you because he is quite a source of information. Okay. And while you're looking that up, Oh, while your daughter's looking that up. Oh, yeah, yeah, she is. Okay, so my dad's going to look up the number. And he... Yeah, I was going to ask him, and while he's looking that up, uh, perhaps you can help us with uh, this final question. We're kind of at the point where we need to uh, wrap it up. close out the program, yes. Okay. Um, what kind of advice would you have for family-owned entrepreneurs who are thinking about going into family businesses now. How um, would you advise? Okay, this is what I would say. 
and my dad has found the number, so I'll give it to you just in one second. But um, okay. always just have a succession plan, um, even though we're in the funeral home business and we deal with death. My sister would go around and do um, give estate planning workshops and um, pre-need workshops, how to um, prepare and be and be ready for your final time. But as much as we did it ourselves to provide that service to the public, we really did not do such a good job of having our own succession plan in place. Um, you know, in detail, but so I would suggest, suggest that anyone going into business have a plan B so such that um, you, you have a fallback plan. If something happens to you as the business owner or entrepreneur um, or, you know, you become hospitalized or something happens that you have, uh, if it's a family-owned business, you know who's going to step in while you are incapacitated or away so that you are, you know, your business can go on. Oh, yeah, that's rock-bottom advice there. Yes, so I'm going to give you this phone number. It's uh, Bobby Donaldson. It's area code 803-777-6282. And he's down at the University of South Carolina, 803-777-6282. Dr. Bobby Donaldson. Okay, and is that D O N A L D S O N? Correct. Okay, and that's 803 777 6282. Yes, sir. Okay. You guys do anything special there for Memorial Day? Well, my sister and brother and their families are down at Hilton Head, and I'm here at the homestead with my parents helping them out. Um, um, just everyday life things with cooking and helping clean up a little bit. So I'm here for the weekend while they're down sunning at the at lovely Hilton Head Island. What about you? <laughs> uh, spending time with family. That's so important. Um, yes, it is. Uh, any ideas about uh, books that our listeners could get a hold of or any museums? Anywhere around uh, the funeral business, et cetera. Again, that might be a question from my sister. I really didn't work the business like she did. So if we, if you don't mind, I can email that information to uh, Leslie, Miss Giston, have her post okay. on the website. That'll be fine. Yeah. I want to thank you guys for uh, taking time out of a busy, festive holiday weekend to join us here on the Guest of Freedom, and uh, give your father my regards and also your sister, uh, Michelle. And, uh, you know, as successful as uh, you guys have been, we're probably going to have to have you on the show one day. And your brother, who is a physician and whatnot, so, yeah. and your sister's an attorney who's married into a funeral home. Uh, There's stories after stories after stories. Yeah, yeah. We love well, that. Again, yeah, again, but, I appreciate it. You know, now that we got it uh, under our belt, one under our belt, we understand how it works now. Exactly. And I'm so glad that you did, again, take out uh, the time such a, on a festive weekend to spend it with us here on the Guest of Freedom. And we and appreciate the invitation very much. Okay. It's and nice to tell our stories. Great. That's what we're about. 
is telling our story, taking charge of the narrative. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, good I night, hope you everybody. have a good weekend as well. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I want to remind our listeners that the program is archived and is available on iTunes at www.blackhistoryuniversity.com. Our executive producer is Leslie Guest. I've been your host, Preston Washington, and I want to say happy Decoration Day, Memorial Day to everyone across the country, and good night. Thank you.